Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, July 16th. In today's news, a leaked private text chain prompts mass protests in Puerto Rico. New details about Elizabeth Warren's legal work for corporate interests cast doubt on her campaign narrative. And President Trump's war of attrition against federal agencies continues. The Bureau of Land Management is his next target. But first, the big idea. When Donald Trump assailed Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals during his presidential campaign launch in 2015, companies like Macy's and NBC rushed to cut their business ties with him. When that Access Hollywood tape surfaced in October 2016 of Trump boasting about grabbing women's genitals and getting away with it, top Republican officials briefly pulled their endorsements, disinvited him from events, and even sought to remove him from the ticket. When as president in the summer of 2017, Trump equivocated on condemning white supremacists in a deadly Virginia rally, top business leaders disbanded White House advisory boards in protest. But on Monday, a day after Trump posted tweets promoting the racist trope that four minority congresswomen should go back to their countries of ancestry, the president waltzed onto the South Lawn of the White House with the confidence of a man fully supported by his party and by much of the corporate world that had not long ago kept him at arm's length. Trump ripped into the lawmakers again yesterday during what was supposed to be a Made in America showcase. Business leaders like the CEO of Lockheed Martin, Republican officials, and other supporters greeted Trump warmly and even applauded after the president said that the liberal women hate America, hate Jews, and love Al-Qaeda. There is no evidence of this. The president has grown more comfortable in Washington as he's surrounded himself with assenting voices. He's learned over the past three years that there's little long-term consequence within his party or from aligned corporate and religious leaders for embracing incendiary rhetoric and pugilistic attacks. Even as a handful of Republican lawmakers spoke out against Trump's language, with some specifically calling it racist, most stayed quiet. Or they sought to soften their admonishments of the president by mixing them with criticism of the women he attacked. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, thousands of protesters marched on the Capitol in Puerto Rico for a third day to demand the resignation of Governor Ricardo Rossello. Police used pepper spray around 1 a.m. to disperse marchers who had massed in front of the governor's mansion in San Juan. Nearly two years ago, Hurricane Maria exposed the raw dysfunction of Puerto Rico, collapsing long-term infrastructure and leaving several thousand dead. Last week, two of the governor's top former officials were arrested by the FBI on corruption charges. But the scandal that's threatening to buckle the boyish 40-year-old governor centers on a profanity-laced and at times misogynistic online chat with nine other male members of his administration in which some of the U.S. territory's most powerful men act, frankly, like a bunch of teenage boys. The leak of at least 889 pages of the private chat has sunk Rossello into the deepest crisis of his career. In the chats on the encrypted messaging app Telegram, Rossello calls one New York female politician in Puerto Rico a whore and makes fun of an obese man that he posed with in a photo. The chat also contains vulgar references to Puerto Rican star Ricky Martin's homosexuality and a series of emojis of a raised middle finger directed at a federal control board overseeing the bankrupt island's finances. The leaders of the U.S. Territory's House and Senate said they were not planning impeachment proceedings. 
but an influential association of mayors from Marcelo's pro-statehood party said he's lost their support. Number two, Elizabeth Warren has built her campaign around calling herself an advocate for consumers and a critic of corporations. But a new post-investigation into her private legal work casts fresh doubt on whether she's practiced what she preaches. When Dow Corning faced thousands of lawsuits in the 1990s from women saying they had become sick from the company's silicone gel breast implants, its parent firm, Dow Chemical, turned to one of the country's leading experts in corporate bankruptcy, a Harvard law professor named Elizabeth Warren. Warren has never publicly discussed her role in the case, and she declined an interview request, but her campaign claims that she was a, quote, consultant to ensure adequate compensation for the women who claimed injury, and that a $2.3 billion fund for the women was started, quote, thanks in part to Elizabeth's efforts. But participants on both sides of the litigation say that description, at best, wildly mischaracterizes Warren's work. A person familiar with Warren's role who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe internal litigation strategy said the future senator was part of the Dow defense team that had the goal of containing the company's liability. In other words, limiting payouts to women harmed by faulty products. Sybil Goldrich, who co-founded a support group for other women with implants and battled that company for years, said Warren, quote, was on the wrong side of the table and that Dow used every trick in the book to limit how much relief the women got. Shortly after the Post contacted Warren's campaign for comment on this story, a lawyer, a lawyer from Warren's campaign, called Goldrich to try to get her to make a positive statement and to make the case that they got a fair deal. Goldrich told them that it was not a fair deal and that she would not recant her remarks. Now, this is not the only time Warren took the side of big business in exchange for hefty legal fees. She worked on behalf of the plane manufacturer Fairchild Aircraft after a crash that killed four people. Warren argued that Fairchild should be shielded from liability because the plane that went down was made by a company that had gone bankrupt. She lost. Number three. The Trump administration plans today to announce that it is relocating most of the Bureau of Land Management's D.C. workforce to west of the Rockies. It's part of a broader push to shift power away from Washington and shrink the size of the federal government, or as Steve Bannon once said, to deconstruct the administrative state. The proposal to move roughly 300 employees from a key Interior Department agency, among them the majority of top managers, comes as Trump officials are forcibly reassigning career officials and upending operations across the federal government. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue finalized plans this summer to move 550 jobs at two of his department's scientific agencies from the nation's capital to greater Kansas City. The White House is trying to abolish the Office of Personnel Management altogether, the government's human resources agency, and has threatened to furlough as many as 150 employees if Congress doesn't go along. Steve Ellis, who's nonpartisan and retired as the deputy director of the Bureau of Land Management in 2016, after four decades of government service, told us, quote, if I wanted to dismantle an agency, this would be my playbook. Trump's government has shed thousands of employees since he took office. There have been gains in the Defense Department and the Department of Veteran Affairs, but an exodus of civil servants from agencies like labor, education, and housing and urban development. In many cases, reassigned federal staffers have chosen to leave the government because they hail from two career families or for other personal reasons. A majority of scientists and researchers at the USDA agency slated to move to Kansas City are choosing not to move. And Purdue's plan has been dogged by questions about its cost and the motivations behind it. 
some of the top BLM employees who are being moved are being sent to Grand Junction, Colorado. Why Grand Junction? It's a beautiful city. It's 280 miles west of Denver. But it's also right next to the hometown of Interior Secretary David Bernhardt. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, July 16th. I'd love to know what you like or don't like about The Daily 202 podcast. Help us learn how we can be better by taking our survey. Please go to WashingtonPost.com slash 202 survey. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.